Welcome to The Eco-Enthusiast, a podcast where we explore the world of everyday people making a difference in the environmental movement. From busy parents to community leaders, we chat with a diverse group of individuals who are using their skills and passions to create positive eco-change in their communities and beyond. So whether you're just starting your sustainability journey or you're a seasoned pro, we hope to inspire and empower you to take action and make a positive impact on our planet. So join us and let's start building a better future together. Today, we have a truly remarkable guest with us, someone who has taken a unique and satirical approach to challenge the status quo of celebrity culture. She's not your typical social media influencer. She's a force to be reckoned with when it comes to spreading awareness about issues that truly matter. Meet Lisa Timmons, the ingenious mind behind a movement that has been shaking the foundations of celebrity worship culture, one satirical lip dub at a time. Lisa's Instagram feed is anything but ordinary. Instead of indulging in the usual fare of gossip and fluff, she's transformed her page into a platform for thought-provoking content. Lisa lip-dubs celebrity videos, not with mundane chatter, but with dialogues that delve into the pressing matters of our time. Climate change, late-stage capitalism, and the urgent need for social change. Here is uh, one of the lip-dubs that she created for a video of Gwyneth Paltrow, at a ski resort or a ski home, uh, and it'll give you an idea of, of the kind of humor that we're talking about here. So take a listen. I do love a ski trip, and when I heard that the polar ice caps are melting at an alarming rate, I said to myself, guys, we need to hit these slopes. I do not want to kick myself for not having skied them before they're gone. Uh, but you know, most importantly, I want you guys to just buy a bunch of these products. Uh, they'll keep your skin looking great and moisturized for the end of the world. So you get the idea. I love this account and I follow it and from having a heart environmental activist day I it really lifts my spirits um yeah I'm not going to say much more I'm just gonna get on with the show I hope you enjoy this wonderful conversation with the hilarious Lisa Timmons how are you how's your day going I'm great how are you I'm so I'm so pleased that you reached out this is so fun yes (laughs) I'm well I just love your videos so much they bring me a lot of joy and and are you where are you currently? I'm in Spain. I'm in Madrid, Spain. I have a lot of people who are very international. It's so fascinating. And I feel like a lot of like third culture people like me, where someone's like, Oh, my parents are immigrants, but then they moved to this one country, but then I now live in this other country. And I had that experience too. And I'm like, oh, that's so funny. A lot, a lot of people that I know, I feel like people who don't really have as much attachment to a country might click with me because it's like, yeah, we're just like citizens of the world. Yeah. And I I guess that's a question as well. Like, do you think that um, Americans have a sense of humor about like celebrity culture? Think that there are more than there have been before. Uh, But I think uh, it's really hard for Americans to get out of the terrarium because I, so I grew up, my mom's from Columbia. She moved to the United States when she was eight. And then I was born in Orlando, Florida. And I was there until I was eight. And then we moved to Germany where my 
father was stationed in the military and I was there for about nine years. So I had this experience of being um, uh, an American who is living in someone else's country. I've I've been told to go back to where I'm from. (laughs) And I don't know that a lot of white Americans have ever experienced that. And I, I was a kid and it was an old German man. And he was very frustrated with the political situation and took it out on this little American kid. But I, from there, I got an understanding. A lot of Americans have this, we're the stars of our own movies, right? Yeah. We're, we're always the hero at the center of it. And so to live in another country where I have to be quiet, quieter than everybody else, because it's not, this is not, I can't say this is America. You can't, because it wasn't. America. And so there's a humility that you get when you're taken out of that bubble. And it's, it's not their fault. I'm very lucky because my, we weren't, we didn't come from a lot of money. So we wouldn't have had opportunity to travel if he had not been in the military. But I was really lucky to have that perspective because so many times I would talk to Americans who had traveled abroad and they would say, oh, you want to hear something crazy about this one country? Like, they don't even use dryers. And I said, I'm about to blow your mind. We're the only ones who do. <laughs> and I go, by the way, if something's different somewhere else, it's probably because we're the only ones who do it the different way. I go, we, are the, we don't realize we're the odd man out. And yeah. we are constantly... A lot of American humor, I've noticed, if, you, if you're like watching a movie or a TV show... If they reference a country that's not America, then there's this real dismissiveness. There's this lack of understanding where it's this crazy. I mean, our our globes put our country in the middle. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, that's madness. You've also, and then you've got these celebrities who sort of represent that idea of the American idea. Yeah. And they're being pumped worldwide. So then you have Americans who are traveling somewhere and the country they're traveling to, maybe Reese Witherspoon's movie is the number one movie there. So you as an American are going, yeah, I know we're the best. Yeah. Like, of course our movies yeah, yeah. Here. And so it's this insane brainwashing. I call it the Santa Claus effect because I was, I'm again, I'm this like weirdo where I, I'm not Jewish and I'm, Grew up not believing in Santa Claus. And a lot of people just, that's like the default is you tell your kids they're Santa and not, and especially in the United States too, Santa is like the Coca-Cola Santa, which is hemorrhaging presents. Like you're always seeing the commercials in the movies. It's just like Christmas is so over the top. And with Americans, you're told, like you're told with Santa that you're the best. You're number one. Hey, you're number one. And sorry, that's my dishwasher. Oh, wow. I'll probably be able to get that out with this. <laughs> but, but I think that the celebrity culture plays a role in that. And the idea is to keep Americans believing this because it's like this little thing. Hey, at least we're number one. If you're breaking your body for this job that you hate, but it's to keep this, make sure we're number one when it comes to car companies or something, it's like this crazy thing where it's so that you're taught from such a young age to not have a concept of anything outside of our own country. It is bizarre. It is like, um, that reminds me to, so I remember one time I was really kind of like shocked when Michelle Obama was giving a speech and I like Michelle Obama. I think she's a fine person, but even like someone who you think is really educated 
worldly. Her doing that speech yeah. and she at the end she goes, we are the greatest country in the world. And I got like Girl. shivers in a bad way. <laughs> you know, I was like, what, what is happening there? Well, it's interesting for me to have specifically been in Germany. And when I was there for four years, I went to a German high school. So I was fully integrated. I was the American girl. I was like, might as well have been a foreign exchange student. So I was getting the perspective of history told from them, their perspective, because yeah. they're history books. And the way they treated World War II, I'm not here to say that Germans are perfect or anything, but it was very jarring as an American person who had had history class in school where we talk about the Civil War. The complete lack of repercussions for the South after that. And then to see how like, oh yeah, in World War II, there were the Nuremberg trials. There was like, it's illegal in Germany. I don't know if it currently still is, but to nationalism was illegal because you you don't want to have these displays because you know, not, and then you come, and then I'm moving back to the United States in the South, I moved to Georgia and it, what, there were still statues up from, I mean, to yeah. this day, there's still statues that they're dealing. And you're like, this is, Banana, like this idea that you're, that we're different, that we're like special and exempt from, from, from any sort of responsibility. It is, it is really, it's really hard to get out of that mindset if, unless you have some sort of, um, I mean, at least maybe in the middle class more. Like I, I think more when I say Americans, I'm kind of thinking mostly American white middle class people for the most part. Because yeah. if you're, I think if you're anywhere in poverty, if you're anyway being discriminated against for your racial or ethnic identity or religious, you get it. You're like, okay, it applies to everybody but me. Yeah. And so then that's that's going to be your entry point for having an understanding. But if it's working for you here. Yeah. Why on earth would you choose to believe otherwise? And I, that's been my frustration is I look like someone and my family, you know, it's a certain income. And so, but I don't have the same perspective and I just have people bumping up against it and not understanding that like, there's a whole world outside of the United States that agrees with me. I'm a part of the opinion of the globe, <laughs> like of, of like literally everybody else. Like you guys, I'm trying to help you guys because people laugh at us all the time and yeah. it's okay to be laughed at, but you know, the, the preoccupation with fame, because here it's very reasonable to think that if you, you know, a few right moves and a few things of talent, you could be a pop star. You could be an actor with a lot of money. I think for us, we just have such a, uh, the potential here in this country for like zero to like millionaire overnight. There's this idea of what could happen to anybody is, is, is like what they try to make you feel. But the truth is it only happens to certain people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. So it's kind of like you're all gamblers in a way, just slapping the, the parking machine yeah i call it the lottery ticket oh the lottery concept. ticket yeah yeah because it is it's like hey you can't win if you don't play <laughs> yeah and and i mean and with the fame thing it's only gotten worse like i because 20 years ago i loved theater i studied acting and i was like okay if you want to be an actor the idea is that you have to be famous like that's or that's the the route that you would like and so i was observing this world because i liked it and i would like to be in it but from yeah. in the last 20 years, what I've noticed, it's a different thing altogether. Like I remember the days of like Daniel Day-Lewis and Kate Winslet and they're doing their work. 
They were doing their work. And you would do like maybe your television series to get to a point where you did films. And the idea was then you let go of the commercials because that would just be humiliating. And now, as you point out very well in your work, it's the commercials are the work. The commercials are the masterpiece. Well, what I think is happening is it's an even bigger reveal. I don't even think that it's gotten worse. With social media, with visibility and people seeing every little thing that's happening is we're noticing what's going on. They're called soap operas because they were invented to sell soap. We Um. forget where this all started. And the thing though, is it makes sense because it was a lot harder to pull behind the smoke and mirrors and the red curtain before social media. And it's really funny when I take a look at the people who I was just saying to someone the other day, as somebody who's only ever found success at all, full stop, period, end of sentence on social media. Yeah. When I say, hear, hear people, I've, I've heard some people go, oh, social media is going to be the death of us. It's the worst. This, And I say, here's the thing I realized, at least for myself, social media puts in black and white what your biggest fears and insecurities are about your ability to socially connect with other people. And if you're not prepared to engage with that, it is going to be very hard for you. That is what I'm finding. Now, children managing the social media communication, with ch- that's different because that's more sensitive. And I don't know that you need to do that from such a young age. But I am finding adults are struggling. And I think, and for me, I'm like, I'm the same on social media as I am in real life. It's hysterical. In the comments, people will comment and I'll have like a full conversation with them going just as I would bumping into someone on the street. But I think a lot of people struggle with seeing how the sausage is made. Yeah. And seeing the like dirt and the nitty gritty and the, and I, um, much like you, I had a passion for performance and writing and a love of television and film. And exactly like you said, like I studied these people. That's why I know so much about them. You study these people to try to understand. And I hit this point. Pandemic was great because I, in the sense that it slowed me down enough to see things a little more clearly. And I had been working in the underbelly, working always, always seemed like this close to the next chance. It's just going to be this. And then just reached a point where I had a, I saw the top of the mountain in a sense where I was in a writer's room and this is the last job I had. And I saw the person running the room, come into the room crying every day. And this was the person who had sold the show, co-created it with this other person. This was supposed to, this was this person's dream. And they were crying every day. And I go, I don't want this anymore. This is actually not worth it. And the thing that a lot of people aren't talking about right now that is never discussed. And I keep trying to hint at during these like WGA and SAG after a strike conversations is Nothing that is being negotiated is going to benefit any of the people who work below the writers. And these are all the people who make everything run. And there's a lot of people who aren't in that union. There's a lot of people who can't afford to get in that union. I tried for 20 years to get in the WGA. And part of the reason I go so hard on my account is I would like to prove to people, hey, do you think I'm talented? Do you think I'm incredibly funny? Do you think I'm productive? Guess what? If I can't do it, I'm here to tell you guys, 
you probably can't either, or you would already be in there because just so you know, it's not a meritocracy. So don't focus on, that's what it is. It's like, that's really what I'm trying to say is like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn as much as be like, if you admire me and you don't even feel like you can do what I can do, don't worry about it. Cause like, they're they're not checking for us boo i just love that you came to that conclusion and that you had that awareness it's incredible yeah i mean i studied television writing (laughs) and i was in a writer's room once like like this was a long like 10 years ago and i remember one of the older writers and i was like super excited i'm just the note taker Mm -hmm. like it's not even a proper job and i'm just like this is my moment like wow and this old older writer he was like is there anything else that you would like to do like he was miserable yeah. and it it's, was a cool show and I, I was like well, well no he goes okay and after like my lips dipping my toe in it it's like a, it is a cutthroat two things it's a cutthroat industry which is gross like why do we have industry where people are happily cutting each other's throat for to to make money and entertainment and it is, it's not a meritocracy at all. I, it, at my writing school, I, I saw my, my teacher's page and he was writing down like what he thought about each of the students. And one whose parent worked in the industry goes, she's fine, she's already done. And I remember being shocked by that. But now I'm like, okay, no, that, that, I'm not shocked. You're like, I'm glad he was being so honest. Yes. <laughs> and I wish there were more people like him and you, just like saying it how it is because... <laughs> I think I agree with you. I think we live in this, we have this kind of fantasy. And I'm not saying people should try to follow their dreams and so on, but we have to have, like, people have to have a realistic understanding of how the whole thing, how the whole show operates. You're completely right. And then I think, I think it's all about realizing that you're, so if you're drawn to TV and film, it's a lot of it is because that's where the money is in terms of like, performing like because how like theater actors what are you going to do to make a living it's really just people going I'm a creative person but I've been told I need to pursue a business well this is the business version of acting this is a business version of writing to entertain people and then you just put the blinders on because it's so hard to succeed that if you're paying attention to how they're duping you and to how they're using you you don't have the energy to get ahead. And and so I don't blame anyone who hasn't been able to see it. Yeah. But I think that more and more people are having this conversation. I also think more and more people with social media opening up these, like I never would have ever told you that like, oh, hi, I'm Lisa Timmons and I'm going to study television and film for 20 years and then I'm going to just deliver like celebrity voiceover <laughs> dubs daily that are satiric like i never ever ever would have thought that the technology for that yeah match up with this weird talent i have as a weirdo child studying people's faces and watching them talk and trying to figure out what they really mean because that's what i think this comes from (laughs) so i think that if you're my thing is i want i hope this strike it serves as maybe somebody else's wake up call like the pandemic was for me of to to go okay now in this quiet moment because i haven't really had time to think of in the pursuit of this career which is so fast paced do i even want this because so many people that i know so i'm at an age where i have um a lot of friends who are pretty successful who like have skin in this game like bought homes 
And I have friends who are like around where I was, where we couldn't quite get in. And then with the strike coming, I was like, oh, the gate's closing. I don't really, this is a really good time for me to just reassess. And so the thing with that though, is I remember thinking, oh my gosh, just got to get a script, just got to get staffed. Because when you get staffed, you get in the WGA and then boom, you just go from there. But what they don't tell you is how hard it is to get that second job. And then what ends up happening is you might become like uh, promoted through working to such a point where maybe they don't need writers at that level quite as much anymore. And you may not work for like a year or whatever, because it's this thing of they want you ready for when they need you, but if they don't need you and now you're too expensive to get hired on a show than you would for a cheaper writer, no one's thinking about your long-term development. They're thinking about like, do we want a cheap writer? Do we not? One of the things here in the States about the, I, I'm a, I used to, I was in a diversity program and that was the track I was pursuing while I was here. The studios would allow you to have one diversity hire uh, a person for free. Like the studio would pay for it and it wouldn't come out of your budget. So you would have, you, know, you think to yourself, oh, what a great way to get young, diverse writers started. But then what would happen is the minute they weren't free, nobody was hiring them. And because they were diversity hires and not these entrenched network hires, it was just, it's, it's, it's when I realized that they just need bodies, they need a ton of people pursue throwing themselves at this in order to keep it going. Because if you don't have people willing to stab other people in the back to get ahead, then you can't run it the way you're running it. You, it would completely fall apart. And people listening might be going, okay, but this is just one industry. But I think that many industries like this, like many 100%. industries. I mean, I think every single capitalism is a pyramid scheme in the sense yeah. that there's a few at the top and a big lot of people at the bottom suffering in order to keep it going. And I think what people are just noticing when they say, oh, it's just like every other industry, it's like, yeah, exactly. Maybe we should change the whole thing then, right? Because why are so many humans suffering? It doesn't make sense. It's, and also the United States, specifically to speak to entertainment, Hollywood. I mean, you say that word and everyone in the world knows what you're talking about. Our entertainment industry, like I know that England and I know Europe and, and Australia and New Zealand and other countries have some sort of government funding a lot of times so that for example i know in england it's like two seasons in a christmas special we're calling it a day here you run that show until it stops making money and it's like and you see it in the work and you see it oh yeah the quality is is crazy and I, I had, I guess, my wake-up call because I was still like, no, Abby, like you can get into this industry even though you're nowhere near it. Like I was still thinking that way. But what kind of made me think I don't really want to be in that, involved in that was I was like, where, where's any story about this whole environmental crisis that we're in? Are we just not going to tell that story? Um, of course we had Don't Look Up, but like one I remember, yes, I'm totally with you. And by the way, I'm so, so with you with like when Don't Look Up came out, I was like, this is great. Please don't use metaphors. Like, are you kidding me? Do you honestly think that these knuckleheads, you you should have independence dayed these fools. 100%. I know people that didn't get it as well. They're like, you know. Jennifer Lawrence was in it and she doesn't get it. Like, I remember, like, I, I was just like, this woman's in the movie. Like, she 
has presumably had conversations with Adam McKay where he's going, yes, the asteroid represents the climate crisis. And she's like, oh my God, that's great. I can draw from that. And it's like, no, no, no. But also can you like draw from that in real life? I know it's crazy and it was like the week after the movie came out and I watched it like really serious it's like wow this is a really important movie it's a really important moment and the week after like Leonardo DiCaprio is on a yacht with Jeff Bezos and like how many models and I'm like right you can't and the sad part is Leo actually gives a crap yeah he does that's the thing he's our shining hope yeah I know (laughs) well I think what's also happening that we're seeing is absolutely fascinating to me because I so I'm 43 and I feel like a lot of these celebrities who I'm seeing really start to like go crazy with not understanding the reality of their world is like 50 like I'm seeing like the JLo's of the world who are like everybody's always told me that everything I do is utterly fascinating so now I'm gonna be on social media just giving you everything and you're just like wait a minute what is even happening? Because first of all, ma'am, you're like having little conversations with paparazzi 24-7 going, I just need some privacy. And the next thing I know, you're on your phone just like doing whatever. And you're like, these people are like Courtney Cox is a great one too. Like the woman is so rich. And I also, something I love to do too is uh, Wikipedia, these people, this lady's from like a family that like came over on the Mayflower or something crazy. So you're like, oh, wow, you're already institutionally, generationally doing well. Yeah. Then you get on a hit show. That's like, that is the golden era of getting for television stars. Like nobody's making money like you guys did. After you guys went off the air, they changed the game. And now she's like doing these weird commercials on her little Instagram and like, it just, you're like, these are the people. And so this is what people are talking about when they're saying, oh, I see social media is causing the problem. It's like, no, social media is showing you what happened to them. Like social media is giving these people an opportunity to just accidentally be themselves on camera. And you're realizing that they can't even just be real. Like they're constantly performing and they constantly need these eyes on them. And it is, you know, I feel bad for them. Like I genuinely do because you be, you're rewarded for this behavior over and over and over. And suddenly people get hip to it and you're like, I don't understand when I was doing this, like a couple of years ago, everybody loved it. And now nobody likes it. And it's just like, well, it's always been annoying. Just nobody told you. <laughs> and what do you, cause I agree with you. I think that's a real issue that we have. What do you think is the solution to that? <laughs> is there a solution to that? Because I, I guess that's my my stress. Like what I love about your um, Instagram and your videos is that you're trying to destroy this like this celebrity culture, which we are obsessed with because, and I would love that because people that I'm speaking to on this podcast, like they're actually saving the world. They're Actual genuinely heroes. doing stuff. And I'm like, like I'm obsessed with Steve Donziger. Like I'm I'm like these are my celebrities. Yes. Like they for me I'm just like th- I'm excited speaking to them. No one knows who they are, but I'm just like, oh my God, you did what? How many trees did you plant in how many t- years? And yeah, and I just would love this shift. Like I would love this shift to happen. I and I think your page is is helps us do that. Helps us go, no, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely absurd. Well, Well, thank you so much. I think it is a combination of real life. I've been so empowered by people. Like I literally 
I can't express enough how much it is like everything you see me pour into it has been given to me from people commenting and saying, I mean, I have people messaging me from all around the world saying, oh, this laugh got me through this. And I'm just, I, I use, my mom is so cute. She's you used to say, I'm not out here saving lives. So you're getting on there and you're inspiring people and you're making people laugh at the very least. And so I thought to myself, we can have our cake and eat it too. We can talk about serious things and have farts and laugh and it can be silly and it can be fun, but it can be real. And I, I want to, I think that that's always where my brain has been. I just didn't know that other people would maybe want to join me in these dark laughs. And then when I found community online where people were like laughing at the same things I was laughing at, they were getting all of my weird references. Um, they, I realized much like you, where you're like, why is anyone talking? I'm like, wait a minute. There's a lot more people who want this than I knew. And I think once I saw that people were responding to it, I just tried to be as loose about it as I could and as honest. And the more honest I was, the more people responded. And I really think that I, coming from the perspective of, I truly, truly am a propagandist. I mean, I told you, I grew up on a military base in Germany. So I was exposed to a lot of those methods and I actually understand those tools. And I learned a lot about military history. And I just said, hey, people need a way to convince those people around them to get on the same page with them. Like there's one radical person in every group. I gotta believe it, but they need a, something to break the ice. And if I do a funny video about Kim Kardashian talking about the climate crisis, people can laugh and go, "Ugh, yeah, you know what? Why isn't she doing like, why isn't like, oh my gosh. And so I get, I'm, I think I'm getting through in little ways to people by not, I learned that because I wasn't platforming myself, I felt very comfortable. I think that's it too. I think there's a bit of feeling. I don't know that I want, I think it's very funny that I'm like, oh, people know my voice, but they don't necessarily know what I look like. And so I'm like, I like that they hear what I have to say before they even know who's saying it. And I, I think it's working. I can see the conversations happening because the truth is we saw with Drew Barrymore, these are very insecure people. And these are people who their entire like monetary value is directly correlated to their popularity. So I can understand why they are so, I mean, they're literally like my livelihood is determined by whether or not people like me. That is a crazy way to have to live. So my realization is like, well, hey, let's take a page out of the Catholic Church's book and use a little shame and see how that feels. Because shame is a hell of a deterrent and it's powerful and it works really quickly. So that's why I was like, I'm not going to be nasty or mean, but I will guilt you a little bit. I want to put a little guilt and shame. And I feel like exactly what you were saying when you were talking about these people who are doing these things that are real and that you're getting giddy talking to them and you're getting, I want to make it cool to give a shit. I want to make it uncool to hoard wealth, to want to speak to so many eyes just for the sake of having attention. I think if I, and I feel like I'm seeing that more and more, especially with Gen Z, they really, oh yeah. Lord, they have no patience for a lot of this stuff. And so I, I find that I, I relate to them a lot, but 
I think it is about going, hey, what do we know about humanity and Americans? They hate feeling like they look stupid. So what do we do? Make being this way look stupid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard you know to what's interesting what, what you said there because obviously I've spoken to a lot. I've been like with this whole climate issue, the environmental oh. issue, and all of this stuff. I'm like, how do I speak to people? It's been so frustrating. And I actually wrote a book, a memoir, because I had a baby during like this kind of awakening. And I used oh, humor wow. in it too because I was like, I don't really know how you speak about such a horrible situation unless you laugh. Um, but, but that's one way I go, okay, so I understand that as a way. I think people need to use it more. So when I saw you using it, I was like, yes, like I would love more people to be like making this funny. Um, but one thing you said that's very interesting to me because no one is using this and they're avoiding it, um, which is sh- when you said shame and guilt, like no one wants to use this. And I, on one hand, I understand that. But on the other hand, the planet's on fire. Do you know what I mean? What are we meant to, are we meant to say, it's I, fine, just try a little bit hard. It's like, you have children, you have a responsibility. Like you need to focus. Like how, how can we not use a bit of shame and a, and a little bit of guilt? Of course you don't smash people with it, but I think it has to be in there. It's part of the human experience. I think it, well, the problem is you guys, we've tried reasoning with you and yeah. that doesn't work. So the truth is I, I, I am, revolutions are often violent, but I am not a violent person. So I have to think what's the most violent thing I'm comfortable doing, shaming you. And I'm very, and I'm good with my mouth and I'm good with my words. So I'm just going to run it. And I think that a lot of people are somebody, there've been so many people who've inspired me, by the way, before I even did the whole Gwyneth thing and all that, because I saw people doing something similarly. And something that really hit me was when uh, the Queen of England passed and this reporter was interviewing this young woman and she looked like she might've been around and she was blonde, white girl looked I I think this reporter had a very specific idea of what this girl was going to respond to her with and was really surprised saying, Oh, how do you feel about the queen dying? And the young woman so politely said, I feel like it's terrible to lose a family member, but I have to be honest. I don't agree with the queen's policy. She proceeded to flawlessly politely explain why she didn't support the queen's policies, but that, but with retaining her humanity of saying, I don't feel happy that a person died because that's someone's family member. But like, And I saw that and I thought, now I see that that impressed me so much that I'm like, I want to have, the reporter could say nothing bad back. Because even if you wanted to start an argument, this woman had taken the path of just like pure facts and did it in like a tone. And I was just like, you know what? I I want to convey, I want to like, I mean, listen, I'm smart ass and sassy, but it's like at the same time, a lot of times (laughs) what, I'm never, I'm not using nasty language. I'm not calling names. I'm not picking on anyone's appearance. I'm like destroying your character. Like I'm coming for your character. And the problem is that I feel so confident in mine that, Hey, come at me, bro. Like, what do you got? (laughs) Um, It's really interesting because I feel like I used to be very, very cynical and my humor was very much a little bit like much darker and much 
I feel like I was attacking a lot. And with this whole movement, I got so depressed by it, like genuinely, mm-hmm. fully, deeply depressed. I was like, I just have to be positive. I just have to be a positive person all the time, right? Because I was like, I'm so depressed. I can't even be cynical, if that makes sense. And, uh, and so I was all about proactivism and, all, and I, and I, and I am, and I really am. I think being just like looking at what's working and do, and doing good works, but we do have to have an eye on these people. Like, of course yes. we have to have an eye on these people. We cannot have Taylor Swift flying over all over the world every second and everyone going, look at what she's doing to empower women and all this stuff. Um, and us pretend like we don't know better. Like us pretend like we don't know that this is wrong. We're seeing, it's so funny. I haven't done a lot of Taylor Swift on my account just because like, I'm going to be honest, I don't even know like that much about her. I'm not a a big fan. (laughs) But I will say the the handful of times I've posted about her, I, I, you would think I would get destroyed by the Swifties, but like I've had relatively good responses because I've even said, I do not begrudge this person a musical career. I am not here to say, oh, she sucks. I don't, I'm not here to sit, critique that. I think I, I would love her for to, to be able to make the music the way she wants to, to do the things she, she wants to. My issue is I don't understand why it should come at the expense of my future on this planet. <laughs> and then when you say that to people, when you say, I genuinely, I'm an artist, I understand. And I don't think that I should have to like your stuff for you to have the freedom to do it. Like I understand the truth, her stuff doesn't necessarily speak to me, but I also know that it speaks to a lot of people. And if somebody's in a dark place and you hear a Taylor Swift song and it makes you feel a kind of way, who am I to say that that's not as important? And so when I, I think it's expressing that openness of like, look, I'm not here to shit on your girl and say, I'm team this, you're team that. Great. Look, we're fighting over something that doesn't matter. It's like, no, if I could get at you and go, look, I think she's great. If you could, if you get something from that, that's all that really matters. But like, I don't understand why it has to be experienced in a stadium tour. I don't understand why it has to be experienced in this way. Like, why is this? We've always had troubadours. We've always had musicians. Like no one's got a problem with that. It's like, for some reason, we've decided this is the iteration. She like, oh my gosh, you mean she can't tour? I'm like, I don't know. No, she like, can tour, did... but she can tour. But I mean, her air miles, it was something, it came out recently. It was like 8,000 tons of carbon, like com- compared to like Europeans, it's like six tons or something. Like it's in, it's insane. Like it's we exactly. can't let one human being do that. And then not just do that, but then all of our teenage girl goes, this is, this is the queen. This is how we all would like to be. We have to completely exactly. change where we, where we focus and where we encourage the younger people to focus. I think, as you say, many of the younger generation, they are, they are very focused, but still I was shocked by that Taylor Swift. One of the things was that she had to fly home from Mexico to America every night after a show because it was just she didn't feel safe oh my gosh that's hilarious (laughs) I don't feel safe in America (laughs) (laughs) I know I know so yeah Yeah, but I just want to say one thing you're when you said oh you're not saving you didn't feel you're saving lives or whatnot I just saw a bib and it actually made me think of you because it was um, 
it was that Robin Williams apparently called um, Steven Spielberg every night after he was shooting, while he was shooting Schindler's List to make him laugh. And I feel like that's a little bit your role in this situation. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I get so, so caught up in wanting to have, like, I can hear it in your voice too. We feel like, oh, why can't I just fix this? I know I have, it's really like, you put that pressure on yourself. You're like, oh, I know I can do better. And you're like, oh my gosh, lady, if you were my friend, I'd be like, chill out. Yeah. But because it's me, it's like, no, go harder. And yes. So realizing that by making people laugh, sometimes that can just be the end goal. I'm like, but and think as well, like it's you're doing both. Like it's not just stupid laughs. There are laughs that because I'm I, like I think about the climate all day, every day, and the environment and capitalism <laughs> all day, every day. It doesn't stop. So if I say some funny thing, it's it doesn't really help me. But to see someone making a joke about the thing that I'm thinking about that's stressing me, <laughs> that really helps me. That it helps me too, because I mean, the minute I start, I I you should see me. I like drop a post, and then I'm like what are people saying? What are people saying? And then I'll look and then someone will say a comment and I'll just be like, Oh, that is a very funny take on that. (laughs) And like the comments crack me up. And I'm like, we're all people who've been like freaking out. And we're also happy to find each other because we're just like, Oh my God, you get it. You get it. And it's really interesting too, because my mom's so funny. She's like looking through the comments and she just goes, Oh, I'm so impressed with your commenters. She's like, Oh, these conversations on here are so great. And I was realizing that it's about feeling like I have a bat signal where I feel like it's a clubhouse. And just like, if you're freaking out, maybe you're the only person in your friend group or your little wherever bubble you are that feels this way, then you're like, oh my gosh, look at all these other people who feel this way too. All these other people are laughing. This many people liked this. Oh my gosh, I posted something recently and I was like, people are not gonna like this. And it was Brie Larson from Captain Marvel because I like picked a new target. And I mean, the lady's doing a car commercial. Like, I don't know what you want because, and the, and, and so everyone, I and I see people the thing you were saying where you were like just feeling very cynical. So I was just like, there were so many people, I was your humor. You're like, you want to just roast. And then I think for me, I started to say, I feel bad for them because I see how they're trapped. So I'm, I try to roast them like my family would do like at the thing. Hey, are you really going to, Oh, let me go. Okay. Like my aunt Patty or something where she's like, we're talking about gun control and she's going on and on. And I go, Hey, I don't want to be rude, but it seems like you just really want to shoot somebody. And then everybody at the dinner table starts laughing. And it's, I could never have gotten through to this person coming back and forth with like the things. And that, but if, if you can make somebody laugh, you've already thrown them off enough. It's where you true. might be able to get some info. In They're there. not mean spirited. Like they're really not. They're not at all. Like you can feel the warmth. I want everybody to be good. (laughs) I have to tell you something so funny though, because I live in Spain, my husband's Spanish. And so I reposted on my page, the one of Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore and um, Pink on the couch talking about the climate (laughs) crisis, which I love. I love this one. And my husband saw it on my page, right? And he goes, because he lives in Spain and everything is dubbed, he goes, wow, the celebrities are finally starting to speak about the climate crisis. I love that. (laughs) Isn't it amazing? <laughs> it, it made my day. I thought it was hilarious. 
That is fantastic. I, so many people to this day, I get every comment going, you know what? Good Lord. Every single time it's, you still get me. I, I think it's them and it's actually you because it is so a lot of times so reasonably believable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's For like sure. you guys might as well say it. <laughs> have um, have any of the celebrities contacted you? Like, because you remind me a little bit of Celeste Barber. Obviously, Celeste Barber does the whole um, body weight issue. Ish. Do you know Celeste Barber? I don't, but I'm gonna look her up. Oh, and follow her. she's quite. She's an Australian woman um actor or, uh, yeah yeah actor now she's a celebrity on instagram but she would do like okay there's a picture of like Gwyneth paltrow or, or models and she would <laughs> she's like in her underwear like looking like an everyday woman like they're very funny and it's, and she's huge now like Gwyneth paltrow all the people have engaged i may have seen her and not known her name yeah i think you would have se- i think you would have seen funny. her anyway but she's they've engaged with her have any of these people engaged with you no and it's funny because I have nobody who's made I've made fun of has engaged with me, but uh, I've had a couple of people reach out uh, and just be like, hey, I just want to say you're doing a great job. You're so funny. Keep on going. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I think I'm it's I'm terrifying and confusing oh. and you don't know who I am and you have no idea why I know all these weird things because I worked in celebrity gossip prior to oh. any of my, so I used to literally look at paparazzi photos of people all day long. And I would write 15 to about 24 stories a day, like these ones I'm doing, which is why I can ch- pump them out so quickly. And, and I have this weird, like encyclopedic, I used to be like, Oh, why do I know so much about these dumb celebrities? And now I'm like, I cannot believe I remember that Billy Crudup totally left Mary Louise Parker oh, yeah. while she was pregnant and these children don't know. And so I feel like I'm the girl who was like a freshman when all these seniors were like wiling out and they're like, wait, she was taking pictures and writing notes the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of people, like a lot of kids didn't know that Ashton Kutcher had a punk, a prank show. Oh yeah. When I was joking and I'm like, yeah. And then you think back and you're like, oh wow, that's very mean spirited. Actually it tracks with all the, you look at people's pasts. Oh, really mean spirited. These punk. hints. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, uh, isn't it it's funny that that's what you used to do? Isn't it funny how all these things come together? Uh, yes. And it's it's so surreal and funny because you do think to yourself, how did I how would I have even known to I could never have targeted a path for this if I had tried. And I was telling somebody, I think um something that Jordan Peele, I saw him speak at um in UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater here in Washington. Jordan like Peele? Jordan Peele directed Get Out. He's an actor and a comedian and a, a, a horror director. And he does these great, um, he, oh yeah, he started in comedy. He was on Mad TV and then wrote this horror film, Get Out, which is this really wonderful perspective of a black man in America using like race as the vehicle for this horror. And so oh, wow. he does these really great, yeah, commentaries on, on on race through horror. And he was saying, yeah, a guy who starts in comedy ends up doing horror, directing a horror film. He, someone asked him, how did you know, did you always know you were going to end up directing horror and writing horror? And he goes, no. But what I figured out was I have always just pursued that which um, excited me. 
And he said, so I figured out that if I just kept going down that path of just pursuing it and not worrying about how I was going to make a living, not worrying about just going with it. He goes, that's how I think I ended up right where I am because I let my curiosity and excitement be the thing that like brought me here. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. Oh yeah. (laughs) It has to be the way, like the Joseph Campbell, follow, follow your bliss type thing. Yes. And I think not, not enough of us do it because it's, it's scary, but I think it it's the only really way. hard to do it. Yeah, it can be really, really hard to you're, do it. You're heavily discouraged to think outside the box, to take a different path so many times. But when you do, I feel like that's when you find what the people I've noticed who do the things that I was like, oh, that's such a, it seems like a nice way to live. You're doing your art. You figured it out somewhat. Those always seem to be the people who just didn't get distracted by yes. like, oh, uh, make a little money here. Make here. Just let me just see what feels right. And it's taken a long time for me to trust my instincts. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Me too. Me too. So you have your Instagram page, you have social media, and now you're starting Hangxiety. And what is it going to be, this Hangxiety podcast? Oh, I'm so excited that you asked. The way that I decided I wanted to format the show is it's however long I want it to be, depending on how much research I've done during the week. But basically, I want to go through the all of the news stories of the week, the top ones that were giving me the most anxiety. <laughs> and the way that I formatted the show is um, I speak in a very calming voice and I have a lot of elevator music under everything terrible I'm talking about. So, hey, you know what? You need to know this stuff, but I don't want to jar you while I'm giving you the information in the process. <laughs> and so at the top of the show, I talk about that morning what if what i felt with my anxiety when i woke up how how i dealt with it what where i am with that and then i launch into the news stories and um yeah i just and it's all just the stuff that i care about so it's not even like a comprehensive thing but it's really more about me wanting to just expand upon the little stories that i'm dropping in the reels because I have people will ask questions and go, Oh, this, this, and, and I or, or want more in a deeper dive. And then I'm like, Oh, anxiety is a great place for me to expand upon something that someone might've gone, well, what did she mean by that? When she threw that in there, like I posted yesterday in sync. And at the end of it, my button was hash, uh, hashtag justice for Janet. And someone said, what do you, what did you mean by that? And then I was like, the Super Bowl, Justin Timberlake screwed over Janet Jackson because he was fully participated in the event and she's the only one who got punished. And so that to me, like as a anxiety moment where like I could get on there and go, hi, here's the background of that post because we see this guy today, but just so you know, like Janet Jackson's career is in a very different place than his was because she had to go through the consequences of this thing happening while Justin Timberlake, this white man, went on to do fine with nobody associating him with that. So I, I just want to use anxiety as a place to just try to be funny, inform, and then, uh, yeah, further elaborate on like any of my pieces that I've put out that people might go, oh, like what what's the whole concept behind this? They might not fully get it, but want to know more 
Oh, I love it. It sounds great. I think we need more of that type Thank of thing. You. Like every time I read a news story, I'm just like <laughs> thrown into anxiety. Like every time. I, I just walked in, like just before I did this podcast, I said to my husband, did you know that like Amazon is now limiting it to three self-published books a day because everyone's using AI to sell like shit on the on on Amazon? Like shitty books that's made I by a computer. I know that. That's hilarious. Limited to three a day. How many people selling? Like it just makes, and then it starts me in this panic. I'm like, oh my God, what, what's happening to art? Like what's happening? It freaks me out. You know what? I'll tell you what it is. I've, um, it's the commodification of art. Yeah. So we as artists, what's happening is we're realizing that my thing is if AI can do it, you're already a robot. So don't worry about it. But real stuff will always be real because it's your perspective. The thing with AI and artists is they can be a fantastic tool that can make us, like for me, for example, I don't need a studio now because there are going to be so many tools coming out that anything I write that I want to choose to have, you know, made into, like, it'll be quite, it, it really is going to empower someone like me, independent people. But the problem is in the people who are like, but I want to work within the structure as if, uh, how it exists so that I can make a good amount of money. And you're like, that's the problem is we're not being open when we're talking about like the WGA and everything. The amount of money we're talking about is absolutely ridiculous. And it goes to a small amount of people. And the writers are absolutely right. Those executives are making obscene amounts of money, but because the jump from being not a writer to being a writer changes your life so dramatically it it creates this insane squid game scenario when you hear something about the book publishing a lot of times it's these lottery ticket concepts in capitalism where the ai is coming in and people are going oh shit there's no way to just have a patent and so there's no shortcut to getting rich. It's a getting rich quick thing because yeah. anybody who's just writing a novel to write a novel isn't worrying about it because getting flooded with like <laughs> crazy books that nobody wants to read, like it'll well, probably yeah. just make well, this... stand out that much more, honestly. This... In the article, they... In the ar- <laughs> it was hilarious. It's perfect for anxiety. Like someone had used AI to write a book about mushrooms and like fungi. <laughs> And if you'd eaten the mushrooms, that they said you would die. Like so, the information was incorrect. So I mean, it's, it's it, you have to laugh at it. But yeah, it's it is just. I guess I guess when I heard about that, I just went. It wasn't so much that all oh, artists aren't going to get paid for their work. There was that thought, but it's more just like, I just feel like why are we going to have to be flooded with so much shit? It's so surreal. <laughs> I know exactly what you. Well, you know what it does is it just proves to me that like that's not the path for me to take. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's so true. You know, yeah. and I was even just thinking like I, so I have a scripted podcast that I'm working on, but it comes out very slowly because it's basically um, a novel I'm writing and it's called Yo Soy Belinda, the Belinda, the housekeeper story. It's this invented character. Who's the housekeeper that Gwyneth Paul Cho may or may not have killed. She's investigating in her own <laughs> like <laughs> crime series podcast. And I, was saying to myself, oh, you know, once it's done, once I have all the thing, the episodes out, then I'll have one big standalone piece. Then I can take that and edit it and make it into an actual novel. And then I thought to myself, oh, how do I want to go about selling that? And then, oh, do I want to do a book? No, maybe, you know what? Maybe I'll print the books myself, hand bind them, 
I'll do as many as I want to, as few as I want to, and treat the individual books as art pieces. And I go, you know what? The limited edition handmade art movement, I think is, we're gonna see more of that because here's the thing about AI that's great. Hey, flood everybody with that because my shit's special now because all of so this true. can be done by anybody. And so now it just tells me that's not the path for me. I'll, I won't be seen in the crowd. Let me focus on who is giving me attention and then. And know. maybe it could make people even more themselves in a way. Like I, I, after, like I do drawing as well. And I was like doing some sketches, like the rough sketch. And I went, now there's AI images. I love this rough sketch. Like it's better right? than the, it's better than the like after I finished it. Like just this idea that the energy that comes from just the make what made me write scribble this down. That kind of What's magic. Abigail about yeah. these configuration of lines on a paper. Yeah, yeah. It was so it is interesting. I think you're right. See, this is why anxiety is going to be amazing. I already feel better. <sighs> See, I mean, and even <laughs> what you're saying is I would love to expand beyond and make, and have guests on. Yeah. People who are, you know, you and my heroes right now are celebrities that yes, are excited about, you know, changing the conversation about who should be getting this crazy attention because, yeah. you know, pointing it at some of these climate scientists who are getting arrested. I these know. rock stars are out here getting arrested. So I think, I think it's, it's a, it's about making it fun. Oh, sure. Cool. For sure. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And it's, I see how we have a path. Like I'm see, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I'm seeing more and more, it is getting scarier and scarier, but I'm seeing more and more people have conversations about this who I would not have expected. Yeah, I think in the next five years it's going to explode. But and I agree with you because it's it's got to be entertaining. This is the point. Remember at writing school, the, uh, the teacher was like, "It's got to be entertainment. It's got to be entertaining." That was the message, and I was like, you know, but what about like the, the message of the story? Like the important things. It's about human souls. It's got to be shared. <laughs> and um, he's they're right, but it's like the entertainment industry has lost any other meaning and now the people yes. that have meaning have to make that shit entertaining <laughs> and and i completely and i'm like i feel like i the thing that kept me from fitting in completely into either camp because i've always had a passion and a love for science and analytical and you know i remember my mom being like i always thought you might be an engineer and then <laughs> and then the entertainment finding this really wonderful middle space where yeah. I get to have a foot in both. Uh, I, I, I think I, I see a lot of performers who, you know, I witnessed all my friends on social media, what happened when suddenly everything closed down. And these are people who are doing live performances multiple times a week. Everybody's, and I watched them and I saw some people emerge as like, these little voices for certain movements. Like I had a friend, oh, he, uh, he is Peter Banifaz from Iran. And I remember when he performed, he didn't really speak that much about his heritage and his performances. And he just kind of, but on his Instagram, he started doing Iranian humor, like very talking, like doing impressions of an Iranian father. And, and his account blew up. And this is right before the revolution, the Masa Amini killing, and that huge, how, just sparking that huge movement. And I watched him 
be able to use that platform to communicate things about this revolution taking place in his home country. Wow. All because he leaned into his own voice of who he was. And he hadn't done that as much, I don't think, because in Hollywood, they're try- constantly trying to make you more generic. Constantly yes. And so, you know, and when I, and I just, I, he was a huge inspiration for me. Like I was very, I was like, wow, that's so beautiful that he was able to take his comedy and by just being more authentic, when that movement started happening, I know that I could see that he was like communicating with these other organizations. He was promoting and he was really using it as a platform. I was, I'm seeing more and more people do that. Yeah. Because also people are responding to it. It's just more popular. Yeah. To be honest, people really like it. Yeah. They like the truth. They yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, who would have thought? Um, Ooh, I sure didn't. <laughs> I have some questions that I ask everyone that comes on. One of the questions is, what has been your most profound moment in nature? Oh, I I love that. My my most profound moment in nature. I I have so many, but I think most recently, it was. I, I was working on my podcast and I'd been on my computer and I'd just been in, you know, inside all day. And I, and I was like, Oh, let me put it on and go walk outside. (sighs) I was talking to trees. (laughs) I was like, there was something about just for some reason, like I took a walk around my neighborhood and I really looked, I think it was because I had the headphones and I just was like, I realized that I live in this neighborhood with them too. Like I was, it made me go learn more about the indigenous plants. Like I have a whole new uh, profound respect for cacti, for succulents because they're native to Los Angeles. But so many times out here, we try to pretend like it's not the desert. So there's grass and stuff. But when I see the native plants, I think to myself, oh my gosh, you guys know this place better than any of us. And so I just recently started to think about all the trees and the plants in my neighborhood as my neighbors. And I realized I was doing that. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. (laughs) It makes it, I live in this big city, but it makes it like, I'm like, oh, I can have my bubble of nature, you know, however I can get it. And I'm talking to this trees going into the roots, the mycelium, it's connecting. I don't even know who it's talking. Oh my gosh, it's the same as being on my phone. There's somebody in Australia who's watching my thing and like we're all connecting in this way. And I just, yeah, it just dawned on me on a walk, I think. I started touching trees. <laughs> I love that. No, I think that's lovely. And I think, um, yeah, the more we're aware of that, the more we're less likely to just not notice when the government says, we're going to take this one down to build this thing here. And it's, oh, no, you're actually not. Because <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go and Fred is staying, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Fred's lived here longer than you, so. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another question that I have on the podcast is grandma's advice, which is you have to imagine that you're a woman coming towards the end of her life and uh, she's passing on some advice to her grandchildren. What would you pass on to your grandchildren? Oh, my gosh. Uh, The quicker you can get to a place where – you are not affected by other people's opinion on you, the faster you'll be happy. Just get there as quick as you can. It'll take you however long it's going to take you. But if you can make decisions 
based on what you truly want and not what people expect of you, the, you know, the less, uh, don't waste your time. I wasted a lot of time. Oh yeah. I know. I <laughs> we wish... all did. We all did. But yeah, that would be my one piece of advice. Yeah. I love that. What is one thing that you hope never changes? I hope that laughter never stops being something that we do to communicate. I actually was thinking about this. I was like, all this alien news. I'm like very into all of it. It's all fascinating to me. And I was looking at, I literally was thinking about aliens and I was like, do they laugh at stuff? I hope they do. Cause oh, what a shame if they can't laugh, that they're not allowed to laugh. And so I just, I think that laughter is this amazing way that humans can say to each other, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Sure. And I agree because I think for me, when, when someone's laughing, I know we're both thinking the same thing. It's like we, it's this, this unifying moment. It's not just about the thing I've done. It's that you get it and I get it. And we're both like, oh my gosh, it's just this cool, like little firework that goes off between humans. And I'm like, I hope that never changes. <laughs> I hope that never changes too. And I'm glad, like, it's, I'm really glad that you said that because you, when things get like sticky or tricky, they you, it, that can go out the window. And even I felt with my, like I always, like people would have said, Abby, you're a funny person. Like that would have been how people define my personality. But with my whole concern about the environment, it all becomes very serious very quickly. And I became very, very serious. And even my husband, when he's like, you're not funny anymore. <laughs> you're not Girl. funny. And, and he was too. so right. <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah, he was <laughs> so yeah, right. Was right. And, and I'm trying to bring it back in because it's it's important. And I think the reason why I took it out was because I went, well, this is a serious situation. And it is, but I don't think that means that we, we don't, we stop laughing. You know, I agree with you. And I, I completely relate to you too, because you do, you're, you're you know, prior to, now I feel like we have more ideas for how to talk about these things. Cause you know, my account, other people are doing, yeah. a lot of people are doing little great work, you know, being humorous about it. But like in those early days you are, you're like, uh, is anybody going to laugh if I'm like, uh, hello, everyone in the world is suffering. Yeah. <laughs> so I realize, see, You're laughing. And the thing is, I think when I realized that like, I, by just saying exactly what the monologue is in my head. I didn't realize my anxieties were so funny because I am genuinely <laughs> just saying what I feel. I'm not even trying to be funny. And I think it's that like. Yeah, I can see that you're not trying. I can see that it's real. And that's why it's, it's so real. funny. And that's why it feels like it's your friend. It's because it feels like your friend <laughs> just saying something hilarious. That Gillian Anderson one, oh my God. I felt the realness of heartbroken. I was so mad at her. Why did you take this from me? You you know, you know I'm 43. You have to know what X Files means to me. The Gillian it was amazing. Soda. When this woman threw up that slideshow. I was like, this bitch pulled out the last five pics in her photo roll. And is, I can't even, girl, I'm so mad at you. Because <laughs> that thing is, too, I'm coming from a place of angry love. Like, it's like yes. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> like your Aunt Patty or whatever it was. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Who just wants to shoot somebody. <laughs> oh, bless her heart. <laughs> 
Um, and the last question is, what is one habit you think all eco-enthusiasts should pick up? Oh, that's a really good one. What is one habit that everyone should pick up? I think whatever something that you can find that helps you to think about this as a long-term thing that we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives. Like we, I, I understand that I'm late to the game. You know, everybody's came to the, to the understanding that we have to fight for this at whatever phase they were in. Some people have been doing it longer than others, but I think for me, it's the realization, like find some joy in it so that it'll sustain you for this, this fight we're going to be fighting probably for the rest of our lives. And if find find a way to find joy. Because if you make it fun for yourself, I, check it out, I clearly made it fun for myself. Like I started with the fun part and worked backwards. And so I think, yeah, finding a way, my simplistic perspective, but yeah, if you can find a way to find joy in it, like the people I meet, like connecting with you, like, oh my gosh, I never would have, like, when would we have run on the street? Yeah. Past each other, never. And so I think if you can find the joy even in what we're currently doing. Like I, we talk about social media and people being so disconnected. I was looking at like these protesters at Cop City who got arrested and I looked at them and I think one was like a young black woman who looked like she probably was like an Atlanta native and then a scientist, this white guy with his coat. And I think there was a, uh, a clergyman or something. And I just looked at these people who on the surface, you're like, they're different races. They pro- have different backgrounds. And, and you're like, there, there are so many people who are just so connected. And you're realizing that all these labels that are being put on us to separate us are made up because you see the people working together, realizing they have the same needs and desires. And I'm watching these beautiful communities form of people who are just grassroots. And I think that it's, it gives me a lot of hope. And yeah. If, yeah, and you can see the camaraderie and the joy of like, we're in some of the worst times of humanity and some people feel the most disconnected from humanity they've ever felt. And some people feel more connected than they've ever felt in their lives. I really think there's like a lot of people just the worst pe- people are having the worst experience. Some people are having the best experience. It's, it's wild. <laughs> it's, it's so true. I, I think the internet's uh, as much as we can complain about it for all, you know, the reason, social media and whatever, it's incredible. I mean, I live in Spain. I live in a Spanish-speaking, a small town in Spain, Spanish-speaking country. No one gives a shit about what I'm interested in. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like, they don't care. Yeah. So I, I have the internet and I can speak to people all over the world and it's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. And you go back, like, I was speaking to my mother about this. I was complaining about the internet once and she goes, Abby, I suffered a hell of a lot in that small town that we're in where I couldn't speak about issues that were really important to me and everyone's talking like about what they're going to have for lunch and I'm like let's take over this joint and and she's like if I had that my whole life would be different and it's I think it's true it's giving people that connection and it's powerful as you said like anything can really happen from that and very quickly I honestly I I see I started doing my account about a year ago. The conversation has shifted so much. I'm seeing so many more people having this discussion. I'm seeing so many more people. I've seen so many people who go, I didn't even think about the rich this way until you pointed out 
this now I so when someone goes I can't unsee it yes and I'm like that's it that's that's all it is it's just a tiny little shift and going hmm why is this that way yeah yeah it's fascinating <laughs> yeah yeah well it's been such a pleasure to speak to you Lisa I had such a great time this was so great. Oh, thank you so much. I like totally spaced on our thing at the beginning. That's why I was late because my sink was clogged. <laughs> so ah, I'm so glad oh. that we, you know what? We managed to make this work. I hope your sink <laughs> is solved now. Um, yeah, I I'm going to be so. tuning into Hangxiety. I really look forward to it. And I, I suggest thank everyone you. does that. Um, yeah, thanks very much for your time. Absolutely. Oh, Abigail, you have a wonderful rest of the day. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Lisa. It's really reminded me um, how powerful comedy is, not in only making ourselves, kind of healing ourselves as we uh, work on environmental issues and focus on this great challenge that humanity is facing that not everyone seems to be on board with quite yet. Uh, so it's, it's just helpful as a form of medicine for ourselves, but also as a form of communication when we're trying to uh, you know, invite others into, onto this journey with us. Uh, on that note, this is a great episode to share with your friends. It's, as you can see, it's light, it's funny, it's, um, you know, you're going to meet someone's hilarious and another account that you can follow that's going to brighten your day. Uh, so please do share this episode with your friends. Uh, as always, we like to finish with a nature poem. After listening to Lisa explain how she was communicating with the trees in her neighborhood, I thought it would be lovely to finish with this poem, the poem Trees by Joyce Kilmer. If, if you're not already subscribed to the Eco Enthusiast podcast, please go and subscribe. subscribe. Uh, we also have our Facebook page, the Eco Enthusiast, the Instagram page, the Eco Enthusiast podcast. Please, yeah, follow along. And if you have any suggestions for guests, I'm always looking for really interesting guests like Lisa to come on and uh, give us a new perspective on this whole environmental issue. But that's it for this week. I'll see you next week on The Eco Enthusiast. Trees by Joyce Kilmer. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, a tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast, a tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray. A tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain, who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. <laughs>